Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening and welcome to another program of questions and answers where we take your questions via SMS, fax, um, via our Facebook page as well, and whichever mode you seem to get through to us, email or even contact Zarina personally, we don't mind. Uh, get your questions through to questions and answers. Our producer Zarina Jacobs will, inshallah, put it through and the following weeks we will answer it. I'm Khawa Solomon and with me answering your questions diligently as always is Sheikh Ibrahim Wass. Shukran so much once again for Sheikh to be available available another Saturday evening. Uh, we really appreciate it. Assalamu alaikum Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh to you Hawa uh, and to all the listeners of the Voice of the Cape. So Sheikh we've got lots of questions um, backlogged inshallah. Um, Sheikh will do justice to those and again a big shukran to all that has eagerly awaited the question, um, the question to be answered. Do know that um, if you've missed any of the previous shows, you can download it on IONO, that's I-O-N-O dot F-M, um, and just select questions and answers. Or if you, if you see it hasn't been downloaded yet, just you can just prompt the producer during office hours and she'll get those um, those programs down on IONO, and you can download it and then watch it when you don't have internet. So how quiet is that? <laughs> Inshallah. Let's continue with the show. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Is gelatin halal, the bovine... Uh, beef, etc. Because Amorana said that it is not halal, Sheikh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Uh, gelatin, of course, one of those uh, ingredients that we find in so many things that we eat today um, is something that has been discussed uh, broadly uh, amongst our community, especially the scholars, not only here but uh, all over the world. And gen- generally, Muslim uh, jurists or scholars, they agree that uh, if it's gelatin that is extracted from slaughtered animals, when we say slaughtered, slaughtered according to Sharia standards, uh, or animals uh, and animals that are obviously permitted and halal to eat, then of course uh, that would be halal because whatever comes from a slaughtered animal is halal. Whatever um, ingredients you want to extract, whatever you want to use from a slaughtered animal uh, is obviously halal. So there is no issue in the gelatin that is extracted from those kinds of animals. However, the the issue really comes up if it is animals that have not been slaughtered according to Sharia standards or if it is uh, uh, animals that are not normally eaten for that matter. If you extract from there the gelatin, can you really use it in products? And this is where there has been a, a huge debate uh, amongst uh, the scholars. And obviously, precautionary, it would be best to say that, you know, to stay away from gelatin that is extracted from animals that are, uh, are not slaughtered according to Sharia standards is obviously precautionary. That would be obviously the best option. However, those who have said that you, you can actually use that gelatin also, uh, even if it is from animals that are not slaughtered properly, uh, and there is a group of scholars that have said this uh, they've taken it from the whole concept of this gelatin that you now sit with uh, is it uh, can you say that it is exactly uh, the same as the original animal or the original product or has a huge change taken place between the original um, yeah, the animal as such and the product that you are sitting with now uh, there's an interesting example in our, our legacy of fit for example where they say that if you were to have wine and this wine changes into changes into let's say vinegar and it's completely, the, the components have completely transformed now. And it is no longer uh, having the qualities of wine, but rather it has all the qualities of vinegar. Can you actually use it as vinegar? And the answer is yes, you, you can use it as vinegar if all the components, if all the ingredients have changed. 
uh, and so this whole process of what they call istibdalul mahiyat, where the entity changed completely, completely from one to another, there are a group of scholars that have argued that it could possibly be used, it could possibly be halal. It is a point of contention, nonetheless. Uh, it is not something that is agreed upon. So um, it's a long issue. But just to just to, to to repeat again, if it is gelatin, so you can't just say uh, give a blanket statement and say all gelatin is haram. If it is gelatin that comes from animals that have been slaughtered according to Sharia standards and animals that we normally eat, then that, of course, is halal. But if it is gelatin that comes from other processes and from other animals, that is where the contention lies. There are scholars that have permitted it. There's a large group of scholars that have contested it as well. So it is something that is up for debate. Shukran, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum, Imam. Me and my husband are married for a long time now. I am the only wife, but he spends more time with his family than with me. He tells me all the time that he loves me and I must have sabr. Every promise he makes to me, he breaks. Sheikh. Where is his place really with me or his family? Please advise. Yeah, I don't think uh, one should uh, ever have to choose between those two things. Mm. I mean, one, a husband never uh, should choose between either his wife or his family. And family, yeah, we're talking about immediate family, such as mother, father, siblings. Um, the, po- the point is that both have rights. Your, your, your mother, father, and siblings have rights over you. Mm. Uh, and your, well, your, your wife also have rights over you. So there should never be um, one at the expense of the other. It is all about balancing. It is all about uh, spending time with all, all, all of those parties because they obviously deserve your attention. As for your wife, your wife is complaining that you spend m- most of your time with your family and you neglect her. This is, of course, wrong. Uh, this, this is not something that can be condoned because this is not living with her in righteousness as Allah Ta'ala has told us to do. In the Quran, in Surah An-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 19, Allah Ta'ala states, وَعَاشِرُوهُنَّ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ that you should live with them in righteousness, hmm. live with them in goodness, meaning your wives. And uh, obviously, uh, if you look at the tafsir of this particular ayah, according to Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, Ibn Kathir says that this ayah means, أَقْوَالَكُمْ لَهُنْ Speak with them with kindness and righteousness. وَحَسِّنُوا أَفْعَالَكُمْ وَهَيْآتِكُمْ بِحَسَبِ قُدْرَتِكُمْ And make sure that your actions towards them are the best that can possibly come forth from you. In your ability, of course, and make sure that it is kama tuhibbu dhalika minha. Just as you would wish her to do good to you and to be righteous towards you, you should be towards her as well. And this is, of course, uh, a principle which the Prophet ﷺ himself has emphasized in so many ahadith. خيركم 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 in an authentic hadith, Rasul says, The best of you are those who are the best towards his family. And here the word ahl refers first and foremost to his wife. وَأَنَا خَيْرُكُمْ لِأَهْلِي And I am the best amongst you as far as wives are concerned. So the Prophet ﷺ was our example. He used to uh, play, he used to be very intimate with his wives. He used to be in conversation with them. He used to visit them because he had more than one wife. He used to give the haq of each one. He never used to deprive anyone from his, uh, from his advice or from listening to them, etc. And so this is uh, our example that we have to follow. And so this husband that is neglecting his duty towards his wife at the expense of his parents. So he's saying that he, see, he has to see. And, and I know people, they often they say this is, but it's my mother, my father, you know, I have to. Nobody would obviously contest that, that your mother and father has a great haq over you. But that does not mean it must be at the expense of neglecting your wife. Mm. 
because then you should not have got, gotten married in the first place. If you took on that amana of marriage, then it means you owe that woman also your time and your love and your care, etc. And of course, the wife should also be understanding that he also needs to go to his mother, he also needs to go to his family, just like you as a wife would like to go to your mother, etc. So it's all about balance, it all, it's all about giving each one the haq that they deserve, and uh, we should not neglect one or the other, otherwise we would obviously be doing something which contravenes the sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shukran, Sheikh. Um, this is a similar question that came up last week. It says, Assalamu alaikum. The elders always say you didn't even work for your parents, but you want to get married. I'm talking about in the 1970s, Sheikh. Why, why, why? Yeah, I think it's most probably the same person asking even maybe because they're waiting for the answer perhaps and perhaps they just repeated the question. Uh, be that as it may, uh, we, we mentioned at the time that obviously we should look after our parents, we should care for them and there is no time limit for a person to first work for the parents and then get married and all of that. We, we clarified that by saying that there's no correlation between the two. However, our commitment to our parents should be continuous and all the time. It should never be, we should never deprive ourselves from looking after our parents. And uh, when we have good jobs and we uh, have a good income, we should never think only of ourselves, but we should always think of our parents, especially if they are also in need, especially if they are old and they are pensioners and many times they can't make, make ends meet. Uh, it is your duty as a son, as a daughter to see what you can do. And as I mentioned when, answered, when, I, when I answered that question, you should wait for them to ask you you should be mm. proactive to go and find out what can you do for them phone up phone them up or go visit regularly and make sure that you are uh, in the know of what is actually happening in their house and what can you do mm. and do things that are good to towards them without them asking without them requesting any assistance very often we find that parents they have their, their own pride you know they don't like to like uh, in inverted commas like bother their children mm. they don't like to do that but it is your duty to know what to do and what to uh, fulfill towards them. So you as a son, as a daughter, should not neglect your parents. And yes, I will repeat, there is no rule that states once you uh, begin to work, you must first work for your parents and then only get married. There's no such rule. But you should look after your parents all the time uh, as, as much as you can and not neglect them in any particular way. Shukran, Sheikh. When we get back, we ask the questions around women um, being divorced or um, single, going to work abroad without a mahram, Sheikh. So stay with us. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. And this is questions and answers. Sheikh, the next one reads Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh and Khawa. Alaikum salam. Our young ladies and married women, in fact, as well as divorced ladies, working abroad without a mahram. Kanala Sheikh, can we, uh, we need to hear the right thing? Shukran. 
Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. There's two issues. The issue of uh, traveling without a mahram, traveling abroad, uh, abroad, especially if it is a distance uh, longer than that which permits you to do qasr salah, which is about 81 kilometers. To travel any distance beyond that without a mahram uh, should not uh, is not allowed because the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam had mentioned this in many ahadith, um, where the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam says, "لا تسافر المرأة إلا مع ذي محرم." A human should not travel except in the company of a mahram. There was one person that uh, said to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, "Ya Rasulullah, innam 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 ra'ati kharajat hajjatan wa innik tutibtu fi ghazwati kada wa kada." Says, "Oh, oh, Prophet of Allah, my wife, uh, she's gone on Hajj, but I uh, have signed up for a particular battle, meaning I'm going in jihad and she's going on Hajj." And the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam even told this person, "In taliq fa hujja ma'a imra'atik." Rather, leave off the jihad and go and perform Hajj with your wife. Mm-hmm. which shows the importance of the wife having a companion on travel etc so that is something that we obviously should try to abide by as far as possible right we we know that there is necessity sometimes which allows which which does not allow us to uh, practice this 100% sometimes there is a real strong need and urgency to look for work elsewhere when there is no jobs when there is no work now we know there is a law in Islam that says ad-daruratu tubihul mahzurat when there is a necessity then sometimes something which is normally impermissible could become permissible hmm. for the necessity and only to the extent which is necessary so in this case if that becomes a necessity and you alone know your situation then obviously that would be allowed in terms of a woman working overseas we're not saying our traveling with the traveling that we've discussed now in terms of a woman being abroad and working overseas uh, of course uh, it's not ideal but if she is in a place where her safety is guaranteed and she can live uh, a life as a muslim woman and her uh, dignity is protected etc etc uh, and again there is a need for this kind of situation then um, you know it, it could be allowed it could be permissible as long as we are able to guarantee that she is not going to forsake her deen or forsake her dignity or be uh, open or to or be exposed to all kinds of troubles and issues which is going to uh, minimize her uh, her humanity etc because it's all about if you look at the ahadith that speak about the issue of mahram and it's not to to limit the woman really it's not to curtail her but really it is to protect her that is where the sharia is coming from and we we know on travel there's lots of things that comes up overseas there's lots of things that you may not have known about there's lots of customs there's lots of issues that may crop up lots of paperwork running around and stuff like that and i think that is where the nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam had come in to say that look if a a a a, a male figure can be with her and rather uh, you know he take charge of those kinds of affairs then it's much better because she should be protected and she should be uh, honored at all times and i think that is where it comes from but if these women are working overseas as a means of necessity as i said and their dignity can be guaranteed and they can be uh, you know practic- they are practicing and they are uh, they are practicing their, their faith uh, diligently um, and there's no pressure on them etc then inshallah you know if it is a necessity allah knows best then perhaps it is uh, it could be allowed otherwise one should try to do that which is uh, which is more con- more more contented you know which which you are more contented with because obviously your family also worry about you etc so not doing it would be obviously ideal but normal uh, normal circumstances cannot be compared to necessities and urgencies which we also need to take into consideration uh, in this particular case now shukran sheikh assalamu alaikum sheikh i've been married for 6 weeks um f- first wife demands husband to leave me 
now word from the husband for no word maaf no word uh, from husband for a week now he doesn't answer my calls what am i to do sheikh yeah i think uh, uh, you know the situation where a uh, husband is married to two wives you know he is the main role player and key player he should make sure that things are balanced out um the fact that uh, he is now neglecting you and giving in to the demands of his first wife is obviously wrong and he's at fault you know he, he he should not have taken another wife if he was not able to handle the consequences and so he should be the one to tell your to tell his first wife that she cannot make such demands she cannot she cannot tell you now she, the first wife cannot tell him that he needs to divorce the second wife she's got no right to do that because the husband went into this marriage uh, fully aware of what is going to occur and the time that he is going to split etc etc and it is wrong for um, a woman a, a second wife or a first wife to uh, to ask the husband to divorce the other wife this is wrong in islam you shouldn't do this um, the prophet sallallahu alaihi had emphatically actually stated something uh, to the following effect where he says in a hadith narrated by abu dawood laysa minna man khabbaba imra'atan ala zawjiha aw 'abdan ala sayyidihi the one who causes bad relations between a woman and a husband is not from amongst us anybody who tries to cause trouble between a woman and a husband that person is not from us and anybody who tries to cause trouble between a slave person and his master he is not from amongst us okay and then there's another hadith which is also in abu dawood narrated by abu hurairah where the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam also said la tas'alu al-mar'atu talaqa ukhtiha litastafriga safhat sahfataha wa litankih a woman should never ask that a man divorces. Now look at the wording here, which is quite interesting. The Prophet says, A woman should never request from a man to divorce her sister. And obviously it doesn't mean biological sisters, because we can't get married to sisters. But what it means is if you are a co-wife with a husband, you should take that other wife as if she's a sister of yours. It's as if she's got the, she's got the same haq as, your, as, as yourself. And you should not ask your husband to divorce her. Okay? Uh, because the Prophet says, فَإِنَّمَا لَهَا مَا قُدِّرَ لَهَا Because all of these things are decreed by Allah. You know, Allah put out certain things which you must obviously be satisfied with. And so one should, uh, the woman should never do that. So it is wrong of the first wife to say to the husband, divorce your second wife. And it is even more wrong for the husband to give in to that or to deprive the second wife now of a, of a time that she deserves. It's an act of haram for him to stay away from her, not to call her, to avoid her, to neglect her because of the pressure of his, of his first wife. Uh, he is the one that must settle this thing, the mm. husband, because he made the decision of taking another wife, uh, being fully aware of the consequences. So uh, I think the ball is squarely in his court mm. where he needs to sort out matters between the first and the second wife. And it is absolutely vital that equal rights are given to both. Equal time is given to both. Equal resources is supplied to both. And uh, that is what Islam demands from us, e equality and justice as far as multiple wives are concerned. So it is not a, just a, 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 a happy occasion just to get married or just to be boastful, you know, that you have another wife or you are able to marry again. But it's a huge responsibility mm. which you are going to be accountable for on the day of, of judgment. So we ask this husband to, to really uh, take care of this matter and not fall into the category of people that are going to be known on the day of Yawm Al-Qiyamah for being uh, those people that were unjust between their wives or treated their wives unjustly 
they will be known on the day of judgment by certain characteristics. We pray and make dua that this person never fall under that category mm. and that he makes right in the dunya before the akhirah, inshallah. Inshallah. Shukran so much, Sheikh, for that answer. It does also seem as if this wife uh, is waiting for the husband also to make a move. And of course, she needs to then encourage him. But we're not getting, con- getting in contact with him and being for so long. What is a physical next step to be doing? Yeah, uh, what she should be doing is obviously she should uh, uh, exercise her rights by uh, trying to find out where he is. Mm. She's got all the right to, to, to make that, those inquiries. And then uh, if he refuses to do anything, then she's got obviously the right to have somebody speak to him mm. and explain to him what he's doing is wrong. He's got no right to neglect the, the second wife and she's got certain rights over him. And yes, if it goes beyond that, she may even lodge a complaint or a case uh, at a judiciary okay. to, for them to further investigate what this person, because if he is not fulfilling his marital rights towards her, mm. then of course he is in the red and he needs to, to make right. And he cannot keep her in the limbo like that mm. as well. But he needs to obviously fix whatever is wrong. Alhamdulillah, our religion does uh, carry many uh, situations where women, uh, you know, can practice their rights and not just, as as we say, you know, have sabr, have sabr, have sabr. But Alhamdulillah, Sheikh, with that answer, we move on uh, after the short break. Ask the question about children disrespecting their parent or parents, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. And uh, in studio, I have Sheikh Ibrahim Wurst, and this is Questions and Answers. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Please advise what to do. Our children are rude with their father. They don't even wish their father for his birthday, not even when it's Eid, Sheikh. Yeah, this is a, a very sad, sad question, you know, coming from uh, perhaps uh, a mother herself saying that the children are disrespecting the father and mm-hmm. so on. And uh, it is it is one of the, the greatest sins that a person can commit to disobey or to disrespect uh, one's parents. Um, it is of the Kaaba. It is, it is in fact one of the major sins, the fatal sins, which the Prophet ﷺ had emphatically categorized. In fact, the Nabi ﷺ said uh, in a hadith, that uh, if a person stays away from seven fatal sins, then he will be able to enter Jannah from any door that he wishes. Seven fatal things that he must stay away from. Mm. Then we find that the Prophet ﷺ mentions first and foremost, ashirku billah, to ascribe partners to Allah. And then immediately after shirk, Allah subhanahu or the Prophet ﷺ mentions, uqooqul walidain, is to disrespect or disobey the parents. Immediately after shirk. And then all, all the other categories. So the Nabi Sallam put a lot of emphasis on this. And uh, there's another hadith with the Nabi Sallam. And this is something for children always to think about. You know, don't think that if you are disrespecting your parents, uh, it is not going to catch up with you. In fact, it's going to catch up with you in this world, worldly life before the Akhirah. 
you know, a lot of things that we do wrong in this life, Allah gives us respite to make tawbah, etc. And hopefully, you know, in the year after we will be forgiven if we've made tawbah for those things. But there are certain things which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take a person to task for almost immediately in this dunya. And one of those things is disrespecting the parents. Right? There's a hadith that is narrated by Imam Al-Tabarani where the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, كُلُّ الذُّنُوبِ يُؤَخِّرُ اللَّهُ مَا شَاءَ مِنْهَا إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ إِلَّا عُقُوقَ الْوَالِدَيْنِ All the sins that a person commit, a person may be given respite for it until the day of judgment. Meaning Allah will not take him to task for, it, for him for it in the dunya. He will give him some time to, mm-hmm. to repent and to come back and to return. But the Prophet makes an exception. He says, إِلَّا except عُقُوقَ الْوَالِدَيْنِ Disrespect to parents. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يُعَجِّلُهُ لِصَاحِبِهِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا قَبْلَ الْمَمَاتِ Allah Ta'ala will give him a certain punishment or a certain setback in his worldly life, even before the Akhirah. And this is something very scary. You know, children that uh, are disrespecting, disobeying the parents, etc. They must think about this. They will also be one-day parents. They will also be growing up. They will also be having situation where they are the head of the families, etc. And this thing is, is, is bound to hunt you down if you have been neglectful or disrespectful towards the parents. Another thing that I would like to add here as well is, my question that I often ask myself is that if children are acting towards this, in this way towards the parents, what has led to that? You know, what has caused children to react like that? Now, obviously, there's lots of factors. There's outside influences, there's the TV, there's the media, there's mm-hmm. all of that. But I always, I'm a strong believer that if we lay a very good foundation within our home from day one mm-hmm. with our children and we show love to each other as parents and we show love to our kids and we set boundaries and we teach them discipline and we instill within them that discipline, right? I, I'm a strong believer if we do it from day one, most likely these kinds of issues will be very unlikely. It will be unlikely for somebody not to wish his own father, you know, on his birthday or for aid. It will be highly unlikely, unless, of course, the parents neglect their duties in the formative years. Now, I'm not saying that if a person does everything right from day one, that he's immune to this kind of thing. Okay? I'm not saying that. One could be doing everything right, and Allah could still test you with a child that mm. is rebellious. I'm speaking generally, in, in general terms. We'll find in most cases where a child uh, you know, is loving towards his parents and towards his siblings, where a child is uh, uh, subservient towards mm. the, the instructions of the parents, grows up to be a good, a good child, you'll find that in most cases the child had a very strong foundation right at the beginning, mm. where the parents were there for the child all the time, where the parents were nurturing the child with love and care and showing. I often say that husband and wife, for example, mother and father, they should show their love for each other in front of the children. Mm. They should hug each other, they should kiss each, each other in front of the children so that they can see how much their parents love each other. Mm. So they should grow up with this idea of love being around them, etc., uh, we find often that this kind of situation is also a result of uh, b- broken broken homes. Mm. You know, perhaps this is a situation where the father and the mother is split up. Mm. 
And, and Actually, to come in there, Sheikh, I heard recently about uh, being on my travels and, you know, alhamdulillah, uh, you know, the hajj uh, makes you realize a lot of things and listening to, to other hujaj. Um, and before there was a case mentioned to me about um, a, a young boy, a boy that's been on hajj, um, and, and he's cordial with his father and everything, but then the wife tries to bring them together because he doesn't have a good relationship with his father. And what was discovered afterwards was that he remembered at the age of four or five when he was very little, how the father had put the mother with him on his hand with her because she didn't have anywhere to go. He put her out of the house because mm. he remarried somebody else or something, but he put her out of the house. And when she came back to fetch clothes, he had closed the door in front of her and him. And for some reason, he remembers that or he, he was very little. Mm. And that seems to play on him. So there's this... Um, back uh, subconscious feelings that he has towards his father that he cannot you know have a bond or do certain things with him but because the wife doesn't have that issue she still encourages and goes there with the grandchildren and stuff mm. but he doesn't s sometimes have a good rela he doesn't have at all uh, a relationship with yeah, his so father. alhamdulillah i mean we can thank allah for that wife of his mm. who was at least trying you know yeah. to do something and, and and that is absolutely true that uh, you know these things if 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 the child has been traumatized like that for at a young age it will have an effect on the child's life no doubt okay so uh, what I'm saying here is while it is a great sin for a child to disrespect the father and not wishing on the this is absolutely wrong but we should also try to backtrack you know and see is there maybe a reason why the child is doing this mm -hmm. is there maybe something in the past is there maybe you know did we did we nurture that child from the beginning from day one yeah and help uh, that you know uh, it's it's like it's 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 very illogical to for example expect the child to be a good child all of a sudden mm. when we did not play that role at the beginning so if that is the case, then you also try to rectify and you try to make right what was wrong. You try to go back and see maybe we are at fault, mm. you know, and be and be big enough to say we were wrong mm. and we should have done things differently. But if that is not the case, and I'm saying that is also a possibility, it may mm. be that you did everything right and yet the child is rebellious. Then, of course, what we need to do in this case is we need to talk to the child. We need to instill within him, you know, the respect uh, via these sayings which we mentioned. I mean, t telling this child that you will also be uh, growing up one day, you will also be a parent, etc. And encourage him, you know, that what you are doing is not right. Family is important. Mm. We need support from our family. You can't live alone. You're always going to need one another. You know, you can't stand by yourself. This is natural for mm. any human being that he needs others. To, to rest upon or to depend upon and so this kind of thing needs to be then instilled or, or encouraged within that child mm. but I strongly also uh, would encourage us to just uh, sort of um, reflect on why this child is doing this mm. and perhaps if there are underlying reasons for it perhaps that can also be be rectified uh, along the way inshallah Alhamdulillah shukran Sheikh uh, it, it's also important for us to realize that sometimes it, it affects adults um, and they are grown and sometimes they still have issues with the parents. But Alhamdulillah, Allah gives hidayah and we ask all um, that and continuously, you know, whatever the issue and problem is that we do not forget, inshallah, to continue making dua. Um, for those individuals that does suffer maybe issues with, you know, close, close relatives that they are not meant to, you know, separate from, inshallah. But shukran, Sheikh, so much for the beautiful advice. Um, we always know that we, we must, we must, uh, you know, never shun our parents and respect them in whatever way. My grandmother always says, never mind if your, as, as your ma, uh, lay opistrat and, you know, from sin, you go and fetch them, your father even, mm. you go and fetch them, that's still your parent. Absolutely. So, alhamdulillah. Good advice from our from our forefathers and our, our grandparents. Sheikh, the next one, inshallah, um, 
is is it permissible for the butchers to charge such high prices for cutting of kurbani meat? I accept the um I accept there should be a charge, but so much as 180 rand, yeah? Yeah, I think there is a, a lot of uh, exploitation uh, during the time of uh, Eid al-Adha when people sacrifice the animals and so on. Uh, not only the butchers, the people that are selling the sheep, the people that are doing all the d- different kinds of duties and so on. And uh, I think it is, uh, it's obviously wrong. I mean, I think it's in my personal view that those things that, uh, those exploitations should not be, mm. especially if it is done at the hand of Muslims also. Because you as a Muslim should understand that, of course, uh, this person sacrificed this animal and it is a ibadah that he did, you know. It is, it's not something that he's doing for, just for fun or just doing it like, but it's a ibadah, it's a, it's a form of worship. So you as a butcher man, you should be accommodating, you know. And especially, I think, in the times that we are living in, already to, to purchase a sheep is very expensive. Yeah. Sheep are not cheap anymore, you know. It's, it's not that everybody can afford it. So if the person had saved up already a lot of money just to put together that money to, to do the sacrifice and to give the sadaqah for the poor and needy during the days of Eid, mm. you as a butcher man, as the questioner says, you've got all the right to charge for your service to charge for whatever time you've put in, but not to be exorbitant as far as this is concerned. You know, we should always think about this issue that if you are uh, obviously going to help out uh, by by minimizing your prices and minimizing your profits, you know, your reward lies with Allah, especially if you help somebody along to fulfill his ibadah, to fulfill a duty that he, he performed during the days of Eid al-Adha. Uh, I think a very similar thing when it comes to people that, that goes on Hajj, you know. Nobody says that a, an agent of Hajj should not make any profit mm. because they put in effort, they obviously arrange everything, etc. But I don't agree that people must be exorbitant. Mm. You know, this is the ibadah that people perform. People say for years to go for this ibadah, for example. And if you are able to accommodate and help that person along to fulfill this rukun of the arkan of Islam, imagine how great is your reward with Allah. Yes. You know, to your reward is tremendous. And the same goes. So I agree with the, with the questioner that uh, the exploitation during the days of Eid al-Adha, and we find that even the farmers, you know, that sell off the sheep, they also know that there's a big demand for it, etc. So uh, all of a sudden the prices go up you know by a few hundred rands etc which makes it quite difficult for people um, so yes uh, I hope there are Muslim butchers and Muslim people that are involved in this kind of thing that listen to this that at least when it comes around uh, next year mm-hmm. we will be as uh, accommodating as we possibly can and not to charge exorbitant prices for people to cut up their meat etc because after all you will get the reward from Allah for assisting that person in Inshallah. fulfilling the ibadah that he had performed during the days of Eid al-Abha Shukran, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum. Has first wife, which I think Sheikh uh, answered this already, does she have the right to tell husband to leave the second wife? Um, but added to that is she says the second wife uh, has children and the second wife does not have any. Yeah, of course, uh, it's it's absolutely wrong from one wife to ask the husband to divorce another wife. I already clarified that. Yes. I gave a hadith where the Prophet emphatically state we should not do that because Allah Ta'ala is the one that decrees everything. Uh, what, just a, a added dimension perhaps in this question is that it seems the second wife is saying that the reason why the first wife is justifying that the husband should divorce the second wife is that the second wife does not have children yet. Mm-hmm. Whereas the first wife have children. And so the first wife is justifying to say to him, why are you still married to her? You know, she can't even give you any children. And this is very wrong. You know, uh, one, one should not use that particular issue to uh, cause conflict between husband and wife. After all, even the, 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 the act of, of bearing a child is not something that we decide. Mm-hmm. It is something that comes only from Allah Ta'ala. 
you can be perfectly healthy, you can be perfectly okay uh, medically, etc., mentally. That does not mean that if a couple gets married, they will immediately have a child. It is Allah that decrees that. And we find in Surah Shura, chapter 42 of the Quran, towards the end of this chapter, Allah Ta'ala makes it abundantly clear. Where Allah Ta'ala says, لِلَّهِ مُلْكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ To Allah Ta'ala belongs everything that is in the heavens and the earth. يَخْلُقُ مَا يَشَاءُ Allah creates whatever He wants. يَهَبُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ إِنَاثًا وَيَهَبُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ الذُّكُورِ Allah Ta'ala gives as a gift, and I like this word that Allah uses here, يَهَبُ He gives as a gift. It's a great gift from Allah. He gives as a gift for certain people. He gives them uh, female children. He gives them girls. And for certain He gives as a gift male children. Hmm. And then Allah goes on to say, أَوْ يُزَوِّجُهُمْ ذُكْرَانًا وَإِنَاثًا Certain people and couples, they will get males and females. Allah will bless them and give them gifts of receiving males and females. And then Allah concludes by saying, وَيَجَعَلُ مَنْ يَشَاءُ عَقِيمًا And Allah may make certain people barren as well. Hmm. Certain people will not bear any children at all. This is the decree of Allah. إِنَّهُ عَلِيمٌ قَدِيرٌ Allah says He is the most knowledgeable and He is the most powerful. So what we learn from this is getting a child is a gift from Allah. And determining the gender of the child is not our, due, is not our domain, but Allah determines the, the gender of the child. Falling pregnant in the first place does not depend on you or your husband or your marriage. It is only Allah Ta'ala that gives it as a gift. So for the first wife to use this against the second wife to say, why do you still want to be married to her? She doesn't even have a child. Hmm. It's so wrong, you know, and, 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 and one never knows the, 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 the mental trauma hmm. that a person goes through if they have not been given a child yet. Absolutely. And I think there's so much social pressure also given to people, you know, like people get married and uh, after a year two years, then people less start. Less than that. Yeah, then so people <laughs> start. When's the baby coming? Vanaran, you know, vanaran is a langa throat, you know, this kind of thing. And sometimes it puts a lot of pressure on the couple as well, mental Absolutely. pressure. Yeah. And uh, I think this verse is contentment to us, you know, mm. that it is only Allah that gives. It is not us. We, we cannot do it by ourselves. Mm. It is Allah that decides when it will happen, how it will happen, whether it will be a girl, a boy. Uh, you know, that is all in the domain of Allah Absolutely. subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I don't think that we, 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 I don't think the second wife should worry at all. Mm. She should put the trust in Allah ta'ala. And the first wife should be, you know, totally reprimanded. Hmm. For requesting the husband to divorce the second wife based on the fact that she has no children, and here again the husband, as I said earlier, on, he plays that that role hmm. of, of 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 reprimanding that first wife and saying, no, it's not right. Don't control, speak yeah. this kind of thing towards my second wife. Hmm. It's not for you to say. It's not for me to say. Uh, you know, I am married to her. She's got rights over me. And the issue of children that is in the hands of Allah. That is not something that we that we can determine by ourselves, uh, because after all, it's a gift, as Allah says in this ayah, a gift that Allah bestows upon who He wills, and no one else can really change that. Uh, so, so I hope, inshallah, that this second wife, inshallah, will have the patience and the sabr to be able to endure uh, this this period in time. Inshallah. And hopefully, you know, people that are listening, that are around her, will also now uh, refrain from pressurizing mm. and putting unnecessary pressure on her and on the on the family for not having a child yet. And Allah knows best. We hope that everything works out for them, inshallah. Amen, inshallah. All the best, uh, Sheikh. The next question is: What is the meaning of Hisham Namatullah Atir? 
Yeah, I wasn't too sure about it uh, because it I, uh, because I'm sure <laughs> the spelling also is perhaps not uh, not hundred percent. But okay. I, I I was able to break it up uh, mm-hmm. into three different words. Uh, the first one is Hisham. Now Hisham is obviously a well-known name, yes. uh, Arab name, um, and Hisham has got uh, one of two meanings. Uh, the most common meaning for the word Hisham is generosity. Okay. You know, um, if a person is over generous, etc., is called Hisham. Uh, and we know one of the rulers of the Umawi uh, dynasty. His name was Hisham ibn Abdul Malik. Mm-hmm. He was a well-known ruler, you know, in the time, in the earliest period of periods of Islam. So Hisham is a well-known Arab name. It it, it shows to generosity, and they also have another meaning of this name, and uh, it means like Hisham is if you uh, give up everything that you have for the sake of others, mm. which is also generosity in a sense. It's like you really annihilate yourself for the pleasure of others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a beautiful Arabic statement that they say. They say like to someone that is very um, selfless. They say to somebody that is very selfless, "Lola hishamuka lamata hadal insanu ju'a." If it wasn't for your selflessness, then this poor person would have died of hunger. Meaning, you gave up your last to see that he eat something. Okay. You know. So that's another meaning of hisham. The the, the second name, which is obviously ni'matullah. It's spelled Namatullah, but it's probably Ni'matullah. Okay. And Ni'matullah obviously means the favor of Allah, the bounty okay. of Allah. Okay. And then the last name, I don't know if it is Atar or Attar, the way that it's spelling, but if it is from, from Attar or Atar, then obviously it means perfume. Mm. Or Attar, a perfumist, a person who sells perfume. Mm. Okay. So I try to break down those three names. So Hisham again is generosity. Ni'matullah, of course, means the favor of Allah. Mm-hmm. And Attar is a perfumist or perfume, if it's Attar, perfume itself. So I don't know if somebody wanted to give a combination of those three names to a child. It would be rather long, however, um, to give such a name. But anyway, that is the meaning of the three individual words. Shukran, Sheikh. When we get back, inshallah, we continue with your SMSs on 47913. Don't forget to continue sending them. Shukran so much for all those that are sent through the question. Sheikh uh, will timelessly uh, give the answer. But for now, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we ask whether it is allowed, haram or not, for a husband to have secret messages on their phone and letters and stuff. But Sheikh answers those questions after the short break. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back. So straight into the question, Sheikh Ibrahim was with us answering it. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Hope Sheikh is well, inshallah. My husband has a secret code on his phone. I can't know what messages he gets. I can't open his letters. Is it haram if I look on his phone or open these letters, Sheikh? Shukran. 
Yeah, I think the uh, first thing to, to, to mention here is that uh, there should be, you know, no secrets between husbands and wives. Okay. You know, they should be able to share with each other and be open to each other, especially as far as phones are concerned, because, the, you know, I think the phones have become such a big bala, you know, in our lives, mm. where it causes so much issues in marital life, etc. The um, type of social media that is out there and the type of things. And it is really, it's a, the Arabs say, it is a silah dhu haddain. It's a sword that has a double edge you know mm. it, it can either be for you or against you depending on how you use it um, so uh, really these things uh, you know we have to take into consideration proper adab and display proper etiquette with regards to the cell phones that we have etc I believe there should be no secrecy between husband and wife you know that they should be open to each other and I should not have for example something on my phone which I am ashamed of which I wouldn't like my wife to see. Mm. I mean, uh, that shouldn't be at all. And my wife also, she shouldn't have things on the phone that sh if the husband should should uh, see it, she she would be sh ashamed of it. Mm. That shouldn't be because then then there's a moral issue. Why would I want to hide anything from anyone? Okay. Um, having said that, I also believe that we should not be over suspicious of our spouses. You know, we shouldn't want to go and spy on them and want to look through everything. You know, if there's no need for it, your mind shouldn't be working overtime. And wanting to check each other's phones all the time you know if it's there and, and you want to go through the pictures it's fine but what I'm saying is it mustn't become a, a, a obsession you know people have sometimes obsessions to want to spy and to want to see what is on the phone etc etc if there's no need for that and you have trust between yourselves then you should try to get rid of those feelings of suspicion the Quran tells us do not spy on each other do not try to spy on each other. Uh, the Prophet had also said in a hadith, hadith. Do not uh, base anything on speculation or suspicion, because suspicion is often the most fabricated of words, mm. or the most fabricated of thoughts. Because it is suspicion that is perhaps the, the cause of, of the breakup of many marriages. Mm. There was nothing wrong initially, but you become suspicious for no reason. Um, so there's two issues. The one issue is I don't believe that there should be any secrecy between husband and wife. Um, whatever I put on my phone, whatever I have on my phone, I should be very comfortable if my wife picks it up and goes through it. And same for the wife. Uh, she should not have any secrets, etc. Mm. Okay. Um, uh, the other issue is, and, and of course there must be trust. That is the second issue. There must be trust within a marriage and we should not be overly, uh, we should not be over suspicious about what the next person does because that ultimately will cause lots of issues uh, within uh, that particular marriage. Shukran Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum. At the time of distributing the Sharia will, is it, is it right or wrong, Sheikh, to give the girls a more than a third of a share? If you give more, are you going against Allah's law? Yeah, as we know, the, the laws of inheritance have been very clearly stated in the Quran. And it is one of the very few things that have been stated in so much detail in the Quran. Mm. We find often the Quran gives just the overall overview and the, the hadith or the sunnah very often comes to clarify. In the case of inheritance, we find there's a huge amount of detail in the Quran, which gives us the idea that Allah wants us to be very meticulous when it comes to um, distributing the, the estate. So in the case of giving a person more than the share that they should be getting, mm -hmm. then obviously what that means is the other heirs will be getting less. 
You know, if you're giving one shareholder more than what they deserve, it means the others will be getting less. So it is going against the law of Allah in changing these things. We should try to stick to what Allah says. And if you see the, the laws of inheritance stated in the Quran, Allah Ta'ala says to us, Faridatan min Allah. It is an obligation from Allah, so we should not try to contravene it. And in another verse, just after the laws of inheritance, Allah Ta'ala says, A person who obeys Allah and his Rasul, meaning in these laws that we've just revealed to you, this person will enter Jannah. So yeah, we must be careful that we don't uh, go. Over, you know, we, we don't transgress the boundaries, and we try to stick to the laws of Allah Taala, and we do not do something which will cause displeasure of Allah and also cause discomfort amongst the other heirs. Shukran, Sheikh. Um, some interesting questions about Salah after the short break. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Our last segment of questions and answers. Uh, remember, you can send through your questions on 47913. Our SMS line is open 24-7. We've also got a WhatsApp uh, a WhatsApp number as well, but uh, we'll give that a little bit later. But for now, we've got the SMS line that's open. Um, our fax line is also open 24-7, 221 Jacobs has a um, email address. You can call her during office hours. And there's also the Facebook page if you're listening to us across the lands and over the seas and you want to send through um, a question via social media. Or you can personally call her, as I said, during office hours, 021-442-3500. Sheikh, the next one reads, Assalamu alaikum. A friend of mine sits when making salah. She cannot stand uh, as she, can, uh, she had a problem with a hip and back. My question is, she always sways back and forth after salah when making adhkar as if in, eufo- in a euphoric state. Is this allowed, Sheikh? Yeah, of course, uh, the issue of her sitting, uh, that is one issue. I don't think the question is around that. She's not able to stand. So obviously she is uh, given um, the leeway to sit and make salah. The question revolves around her movement after the salah when she is making dhikr. Uh, Of course, uh, you know, if it is something that she does naturally, it is not something that she uh, sort of goes out of her way to do. Uh, because sometimes what happens is a person makes dhikr, he may go into a certain uh, state, you know, where he not loses himself, but he sort of gets very into what he is doing. Mm. And there may be a bit of movement of the head or going to and fro, back and forth, etc. So if a person does it, you know, naturally, uh, without any um, extra sort of, um, uh, without uh, without uh, mimicking it, you know, without making it up, for, 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 for instance, or mm. without uh, wanting to put up a show for others, okay. etc. If it is done in a natural way, then inshallah, you know, that is uh, between her and Allah, you know, the mm. state that she's in. We can't judge a person for the state that they go into. And I found uh, some interesting uh, narrations on this, that I- in fact, the Sahaba also, there's a certain riwayat that has been narrated by Ibn Kathir in his book, Al-Bidaya wa Nihaya, 
that actually states that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum sometimes they used to make dhikr فَذَكَرُوا madu kama yamidu shajar Sometimes they used to make dhikr and they used to sway just like the trees sway when the wind blows. Mm. Which means it's, it's, it's not something that you are in control of always. Sometimes you make dhikr and all of a sudden you, know, you find yourself being in a state of movement like that. So if it is done naturally like that and it's not way out and it is not unnatural, then inshallah it should be okay. And these riwayat of course had been debated, the authenticity of it and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a debate about it. But nevertheless, there is some indication that, from in my personal opinion, I think there is indication that if a person does it naturally, as I said, there should not be an issue. As long as it is not done for show or you're not going out of your way to make movements, etc. If it's a state that you naturally go into when you make certain afkar because of your inner state or your happiness that you feel or whatever it may be, then inshallah, that is between you and Allah. You know, Allah knows the intention that is in our hearts when we do these things. Shukran, Shaykh. Assalamu alaikum. Can you give Qurban meat to a Christian poor person or is it only for Muslims? Um, if not, what about organizations that use the meat to make food, Shaykh, and feed the poor irrespective of religion? Shaykh? Yeah, this is a question that has a difference of opinion amongst our scholars. There are uh, some scholars that uh, feel that uh, the Qurbani meat must only give it, be given to Muslims. This is the view of Imam Shafi'i. And the reason for that is that uh, it's obviously to see to the needs of our poor first and foremost during the days of Eid. After all, it is our celebration, it is our Eid. So we want our Muslim brothers to have something to eat and to be at least in a state of well-being and that doesn't mean we should neglect non-muslims but it just means that our priority during the days of Eid should be for those who are celebrating Eid and that is the view of Imam Shafi'i there are other uh, scholars like the Malikis Imam Malik and the Hanbali scholars they feel that uh, it is not haram to give some of the meat to Jews or Christians or other faiths mm. uh, because it's a uh, you know it's it's a, it's an act of sharing okay and that is why the uh, uh, the Hanbalis, for example, had given permiss- per- uh, great permissibility or open permissibility uh, to, a, uh, to, to, to give some of these meat to a non-Muslim because at the end of the day it is about caring for others and, and the poor and the needy, generally speaking, and not restricted to Muslims. So there's two views on the issue. Mm. Uh, you know, um, Each view has its proofs and has its background, why uh, the scholars have said that. Um, and I feel both have its merits. You mm-hmm. know, Imam Shafi, I feel his view is also very strong because it's our celebration and we need to look at people who are celebrating it first and foremost. And then after, after that, if there's leftover, you can go on and then you know, look for other poor people as well. Of course, we should not ne- neglect our poor, whether they are of whatever religion. Our deen tells us to look after the poor mm. and to give to the poor, regardless of faith, regardless of uh, ethnicity or background, etc. It's just during the days of Eid, there are uh, some of our ulama that feel it should be restricted to Muslims. Others feel it's open. So there's no issue really for the organizations then to follow those views. Uh, to give it, uh, although the priority would be to give to Muslims first, inshallah. Shukran so much, Sheikh. Unfortunately, that is where we have to leave the questions for now. We really appreciate um, Sheikh's input as always. Uh, very very uh, detailed with the, with the answers as well. But if you have um, any questions with regards to your questions not being answered, please contact Serena during office hours. We do get every SMS, so that's the best way to get it through. Otherwise, you can fax and email it to us. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh, once again. And we'll speak to uh, Sheikh uh, next week, same time, same place, inshallah. All the best. 
and salams to the family. Wa alaykum salam jazakum Allah khairan to you and to all our listeners. May Allah protect us for the next week Ameen. until we chat to you again inshallah. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. That was Sheikh Ibrahim Wiss, a resident imam out at the Yusufia Masjid and from myself Khawa Solomon. Till I speak to you next week again. Wa alaykum and goodbye.